You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Join me in prayer as we open up this morning uh, and we talk about this very, very important, uh, weighty, weighty topic uh, for so many of us. And I want to just begin by, by praying the prayer that Jesus prayed. We said at the onset of, of, of this series that if there was one thing that you knew that Jesus was praying for you, we look back on this verse in John 17 and say, this is the heart of God for us followers after him. In John 17, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, Father, that is our prayer here this morning. Not even that we would be one, God, for the sake of unity, but for your glory. God, I pray that you would break down every wall of hostility, every offense, every hurt, God, of the past. Where there is unforgiveness, God, would you just shed light on it, God, and remove it with the light of your glorious day as we walk out of the darkness of our past, as we walk out of the darkness of our current circumstance, walk out of the darkness of our sin, God, no matter where we're coming from, no matter when it happened, on the way in today, And when we woke up this morning, last night, God, you invite us here, today, in this moment, into the glory of your new day, where there is hope, and there is peace, and there is love, and there is acceptance, and there are people that will walk alongside us, God. Would you draw us together as one, as we share vulnerably with each other who we are, what our story is what our struggles are, where our hurts lie. God, I pray that that vulnerability would lead to forgiveness and love and unity for your glory, God, as we become one in you. Would you make us an indivisible church and heal the divisions between people groups, between people, between families, God, between political parties, Would you bring healing and hope to our nation and our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise for me to tell you again that in this hour of our nation, there have been so many divisions that are highlighted. And perhaps none more painful, none more real 
than race in America. And so as we talk about this, this, this topic, as we go through this series called Indivisible, I thought, you know what, there's no way that we could possibly talk about what it looks like for us to be an indivisible church without talking about what our church looks like. So why do we need to be an indivisible church? We have so much to talk about. I want to get to it. I want to bring up my friends here today. You're going to get so much wisdom from them, so I don't want to take too much time up here up front. Um, I just want to give us a few pieces of context, though, as we go through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 3. Why do we need an indivisible church? Well, here's the first reason. We need each other. I need you. And that might sound very personal, very selfish, right? But there is a reality that when we gather, there's actually something. It's not just that I need something from God. I do, but I need something from every single one of you because we're different. We're different people. Check out what Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 says. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. God, there's actually, we all want God's grace. We want his provision. We want his perspective, his wisdom, his guidance, his direction, his healing in so many ways. And one of the ways that God gives his grace to us is through others. For nearly 40 years now, and perhaps even longer, there has been a movement within the church that says the best way to grow a church is to get people that are very similar together because people love to be around people like them. Don't you love this? We, we all do. We, we love having people around us that are like us, that are familiar, that are comfortable, and even beyond that, who will tell us the things that we already think, who will affirm the direction that we already want to go. That's why cable news is so popular. That's why Facebook works the way it does. We just keep seeing the same thing over and over, and it goes, oh, yeah, I already knew that. That's exactly what I thought. Yes and amen, pastor, right? There's actually something of God's grace, though, that only comes to us when we are with people who are different than us, with a different perspective of us, with a different perspective from us. There's an amount of God's grace that comes to you through me and to me through you. We need each other. I need you. We need others. We need others that are different. That's why Romans 12, verse 5, you, you probably have maybe heard at some point the church described as a body. The beautiful thing about a body is that there's different parts. There's different parts. Listen to what Romans 12, verse 5 says. And so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. It goes on in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. The beauty of our gifts is that they differ. A hand does nothing on its own, Paul goes on later to say. A foot can't do anything. A brain only, a heart only, useless without every other part. We need diversity. Now, unity is not uniformity. That's one thing that we're getting so wrong right now. And we're getting it wrong on both sides of the aisle. I keep saying I want to be an equal opportunity offender throughout this series. People that think like us are not always just the right people. And people that think differently than us 
are wrong. The point of, of this, of saying we need to be indivisible, is not to say that we all have to think, look, feel, and act the same way. We don't. Unity is not uniformity. There's actually strength in diversity. We can think different things, and that's okay. We can th- I, I feel like some of us need to feel that permission today. We can think different things. We can have b- different perspectives, and it doesn't make the other person wrong or worse, evil, bad, hateful. No. There is space and strength in for diversity and in diversity. Here's the other thing. I keep talking about us, them. The other reason we need an indivisible church is that we are family. Not only do I need you for my growth, but you need me. We need each other. And it's because God has put us together as one family and there is no, there's no longer different groups of people. In Christ... The many now have become one. We're a family. And if I know you, you're probably a lot like me. There's not a whole lot that you wouldn't do for your family. Once somebody is in with you, once, some, once you look at somebody and go, yeah, they're, they're one of us. You stand up for one of us, right? You stand up for your people. Somebody comes at them, they come after you. They, they have a problem with them, they have a problem with you. There's something about family that eliminates all of this us and them talk, and there's just an us, even though you're different, even though you may have hurt in the past. When there's hurt with your family, there's hurt with you. And so we need an indivisible church because we are not divided. In Christ, the many have become one. We're family. We're a body That's what Ephesians 3, verse 6 says, when when Paul says, this mystery, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Jew and Gentile was the racial divide of Jesus' day. Sure, it had to do with beliefs. These were two people groups, and one of the groups said, God looks this way. God acts this way, and they are outside of it. They are wrong. They do the wrong thing, and us versus them, and so many of Paul's writings throughout the scriptures are saying, listen to me. It's not about those things anymore. You two have been brought together. I say this every time I do a wedding, and I don't think it's just about marriage. Jesus reiterates God's original intention in Genesis when he says in Matthew, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God joins us together. Man separates. God has brought us into one family. So there's not us and them, Jew or Gentile, black or white. Now there's one people. Do we all look the same? No. Do we all think the same? No. But we are all one together, and that is a beautiful good thing. And because we're one, we can be for each other. Because there's not a them, we don't have to be against people. We can be for us. The world needs us. They don't need an us and them. And an indivisible church is going to be known more for who and what we're for than who or what we're against. That's what the world needs Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, going on, says that this was the point. To bring to light for everyone 
What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that, here's the point, through the church, through the church, here's what it doesn't say, through our politics, through our news feed, through our argument, through being right. No, it doesn't say any of that stuff, but through the church. It doesn't even say through education, through awareness, through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God has established the church. He's put us together so that when we live life together, when we love one another, even amidst diversity, through that relationship, our relationships, through us, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to everyone. Later on in John chapter 13, it says that this is how we're going to be known. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. Commandment. How many times when we like list the Ten Commandments, right, the things you're supposed to do, do we even go like, oh yeah, love people. Jesus said that was one of the greatest ones of all. And he says, I'm giving you a new one. It's the 11th commandment, if you will. Love people. Remember that thing I said about killing? Don't do that. Here's something I view as just as much. Love people. You have to love each other, church. We need to love each other. Why? Because that's how people are going to know that you're my disciples. Uh, But what about the church building that we meet in? No, no, no. Your love for each other. But what about this Christian t-shirt that your love for each other? But what about the fact that I listen to K-Love all day? Your love for each other. But I'm a Republican. Your love for each other. But I'm right about that. Your love for each other is how the world will know that we are his followers. There's not us and there's them. There's one. And we love one another. That is the wisdom of God. And I love that word, manifold. Everybody say manifold. I didn't know what that word meant before this week. Maybe you're with me. You know what it means? It means many. It means diverse. So here's the, beauty, the beautiful thing. God creates a church, and he commands us to love one another. And through that, the manifoldness of, of his church, there is wisdom in many. God, in his wisdom, put different people together and said, I want you guys to love each other because it's only in the wisdom of the many that I will be known. That's why this is important. So today, I wanted to bring up a couple of the wisest guys uh, that I know. I mean that in the best way. They're not wise guys. They are wise guys. Their wisdom is manifold. Uh, Pastor Juwan Glenn from Antioch, Detroit, uh, and a new friend, uh, Minister Desmond, he is going through a bachelor's degree right now at Moody, and um, he is, what has been told to me, an expert in apologetics. We are humbled and thankful to have these guys with us, so come on up. Would you please join me in welcoming Juwan and Desmond? See you guys. Come on up. We can have a seat. We can space out a little bit too if we want to. Desmond, thank you so much for being here, man. All right. So, Juwan, can you just give us a, a, a real quick second? What's, what's going on with Antioch, Detroit? How are things going there? Um, what's the vision for what y'all are doing? Uh, yeah, so, um, sorry, I forgot I had this on. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, first of all, I'm so glad to be here right now. I love y'all. Seriously. Um, 
and it's just an honor to hang out and be a part of the worship and, and just hear the word being taught. So just had to get that out. Um, but yeah, Antioch Detroit is going strong and we're continually preaching the gospel. Um, we've had the pleasure of getting groceries every Sunday to give out to our community, which has been a big blessing because you could, you know, talk about God, you know, and people kind of listen, but when free food comes out, they go, okay, I think I'm really hearing what you're trying to say here, you know. <laughs> so that's been a blessing, and um, as for, for most pastors and in most churches, it's been a very difficult time because of COVID and restrictions and so on and whatnot, but it always, there's this, and I'm, I'm sure you would agree with this, Pastor Dave, there's always this spark when you see somebody who is trudging out to, to come and be a part of community, whether that's online, right, yeah. or whether it's in person, to continually see that engagement, to go, oh, you guys are still hungry. Like, this CDC hasn't stopped you from being hungry for God. And I think that's something we've continually seen in our church is the hunger, and every time I see it, I get happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, man. Thank you guys for what you're doing down there. Um, we're, we're thankful for you. We're, we, we love that we get to partner with you in some way for the gospel. Um, not just here in Warren, but in Detroit, where, where y'all are. And uh, so if you're watching this, right, and um, Warren is too far for you, but you live in Detroit, you know somebody that lives in Detroit, there is an awesome church uh, in Detroit. It is called Antioch, and we would love if you would go to AntiochDetroit.org, right? Uh, AntiochDetroit.org? Yes, yeah? yes. Okay. Uh, go and check them out. Uh, man, they're, they're doing some amazing stuff down there. Um, but... Wanted to talk today a little bit about just the division, right? We're in this series called Indivisible, and I think that every single person here watching online has experienced that in some way. Uh, it wouldn't, it's not a shock, right? We, all, we, we see it. We feel it. There is division, and that's why we call this thing racial tension, because it's tense. There's division around that, and I, a lot of us, though, feel like we, we, we recognize the problem, but we really don't know what to do about it? Like, how are we supposed to feel about it? What are we supposed to do? And there are, there are some narratives out there that, that would say, well, the solution is a whole lot of different things. And one of the solutions for, for us, especially, I'll speak for myself, um, as, as a white man, is, seems to be like, well, you should, really, you should be very apologetic. Um, you, you should really feel bad about who you are and, and where you've come from and what your people have done. And there's part of me that goes, well, man, I, I want to, if, if that's contributing. That's going to help. I want to do that. And I think a lot of people uh, feel the same way as I do. But we want to be indivisible. Uh, one of the first things that I was hoping that you guys could talk about, though, is, is, is there a need for, for that approach in particular? Is there a need for, for white people or people of European descent uh, to apologize for slavery, in, in your view? Going to take the, uh, just hand it over to the goat first, uh, and then I'm just going to go I'll right for the gusto. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on surface, I mean, like you will see, I, I can tell you how many YouTube videos or Facebook videos I've ran across where you know you have you know African Americans saying like, "Hey, you need to apologize for the uh, the issues of um, you know racism and also the atrocities of slavery, right?" And of course, I think we all agree that slavery and racism is wrong. It's yeah. sinful, right? It's evil yeah. behavior. Um, but at the same time, I don't think anyone needs to go up to a person and say, like, hey, you know, I apologize for racism and slavery. Um, I think what we need to do is recognize that those are issues and that is a sinful behavior, right, to call out the evil. But to go around just saying, hey, you know what, I apologize. Because guess what? You're not just going to apologize for that. You're going to be apologize for a lot of things. But if
if we sure. but if we do that for to white people to say, hey, you need to apologize for the atrocities of uh, your ancestors. Well, we have to do that approach with even within ourselves. So if we're going to put that burden on uh, you know white people, well, black folks have to do the same as well. No, I, I would totally agree. I like the way. See, Des was trying to be all nice. Now, on the phone, he was on the phone. He wasn't talking like that. This is what he said on the phone. He said, "White people going up to black folk and apologizing is demonic." Yes, I did say that. Did. It is. It is not biblical. It makes no. That's like me apologizing today for what O.J. Simpson did. You know, it's like what does that have to do with? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Here's the thing, when we take it back to the scripture, this is important. When you look at Matthew, here's my little notes, okay, because um, my phone isn't working right. In Matthew 18, it talks about if your brother has done you wrong, you pull them to the side and you go, hey, I feel like you've sinned against me. I feel like you've done me wrong. We need to reconcile, and there needs to be some forgiveness and some healing here, right? In Matthew 5, likewise, it says, leave your gift at the altar, right? Before I get up here and start leading worship, if there's beef I have with any brother, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, and everything in between, biblically, I'm supposed to go and get that right with them, right? Try to have some reconciliation. But it makes no sense for somebody to go apologizing to people for something they never did. It, doesn't, it just doesn't add up. And I think what's scary is in the church, we've adopted a lot of secular tendencies. We watched a little too much Dr. Phil, a little too much Oprah, and we go, these guys are the experts. They know what they're talking about. Let's go, no, no, what, what is God talking about? How does God want us to address this? Because if you do that, like Desmond wonderfully put, you'll be apologizing all day long. Yeah. Now, we had a particular situation that happened with George Floyd um, in, the, uh, in a Minneapolis, right? Um, which was so horrific. I don't care where you were on the spectrum. Yeah. It was shocking to everybody. And this is something that I saw that I thought was good. I had people, watch this, black and white, reaching out to other loved ones and friends going, hey, man, what I saw in that video of that officer was disgusting. Yeah. And this was not to disrespect officers. This is not what we do here. We don't, I don't, we, at least at my church, we don't teach that. I know you guys don't either. But it was this particular sit, isolated situation that was so graphic and horrendous that people were calling and going, hey, I, if there's any way I could love you during this time, right? If there's any way I could be here for you, be intentional. This was a horrible thing that shook our country. I want to be able to do that. Now, that's biblical. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, that's scripture. I don't know if we got a second left. I was about to say real quick, um, just as racism is an issue, or you know, whatever the spectrum may be, um, white guilt is a sin as well. Putting white people on the guilt trip, that's not right, because I think that's a softball approach of racism on parts of black people. Preach. So, it's yeah. good, man. We need an organ. Who's an organ player here? I thought <laughs> <I was> gonna... <laughs> yeah, no, I love what you're saying. Even, even guilt, right? Guilt, is, any other time we talk about guilt, right? There's not guilt, there's not shame, there's not condemnation in Christ Jesus when we're in Him. He actually pays for that sin. It's as if Jesus, no, really, Jesus takes on our sin on himself to continually go back and, and have guilt over something. Yeah. That's not something that's from God. Now, here's, here's something that I found in my own heart, though. Uh, over the course of the last uh, few months, especially in, in, in May, um, when, when, when we had George Floyd and Ahmad, uh, there was, it, this was so fresh. It was honest, it, honestly, it was, it was like there was this band-aid being ripped off. And 
I will, I will speak personally, if, if only personally, I know that my eyes were opened to a lot. In, in the past, I thought, no, no, that's a thing of the past. That's not real anymore. That, that we've, we've moved on beyond that. And it was, it was good for me to go, oh my gosh, this is still real. And I could, one thing that we often say in our house is, I can, I can say, I'm sorry that something happened to you. We say this to our kids. I'm sorry that happened to you. And maybe, maybe I even played a part in that. And for that, I'm, I'm going to say I'm sorry. But what that doesn't mean is that every time I say I'm sorry, that it was my fault. Okay, there you go. And there's a really clear distinction. And we, here at Paradox, Paradox is a both and. We want to say, hey, we, we feel sorry. We are sorry, especially for the ways that we may have, owned, we, we may have done or perpetuated any of, any of anything, even in our own ignorance. However, we do not walk around with this being the defining factor of who we are and how we feel about ourselves and each other. It's a both end. Sometimes we even, uh, you know, I'm going, going back to, um, no, I, I can't quote it exactly, so, so I won't. There's this idea, though, that, and, and uh, President Barack Obama said it uh, recently, where, where, where we think that there, there is this, this easy way to do things, right? Oh, we're making a difference if we just post online or, or maybe even you know, get, go around and say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Throughout the pages of Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, God would actually say, hey, if you want to repent, if there's something that you feel like is, is, is wrong, stop saying words. Why, why do you come to me, God says, you know, with, with, with all of your, oh, I'm so sorry, we praise you, I'm so sorry. But then you go out and you keep on doing the same thing. If you want to do something... Maybe it's time to stop saying words and, and time to start doing something a little bit different. If you feel bad, go to God with that and, then, and come out of an encounter with his love and his grace and his mercy different than when you started. Um, so I, even for, for some of us, though, we're, we're, even, we're talking about this, right? And we feel the tension. There is this, this divide and, and we would go, all right, Dave, you know, everybody up here just said that that's not what we need to do. But why are we still harping on this? Why do we dwell on this? Why even talk about it, quite frankly? Because if we're after unity and an indivisible church, shouldn't we just preach the gospel when it comes to all of this race stuff? Why even contribute to the divide by talking about it? What would you say to, to an objection like that? Um, I would say yes and no, right? So the gospel is what changes people. It changes the heart. It changes the wicked heart. It changes the evil heart, however you want to put it. So it is the gospel, but we have to see the gospel in action too. I think about Matthew 25 verses 35 through 40. Jesus doesn't just give us an, and we love orthodoxy, right? Especially like me being in seminary. I love studying theology, orthodoxy. I think that's important. But then the Bible, uh, when we look at Jesus and his message, right? He challenges the believer, the, his followers to put that into orthopraxy now, to practice what you believe. We know all this knowledge about the scriptures. We know, you know what Jesus requires of us, but now we have to put it in practice. So if we see, um, a racial divide or racial tensions in our community. As the church, we need to go and give it a gospel lens, right, to, imp uh, to implicate uh, Jesus in those, uh, those areas that are hurt or broken. And that's what we do. It's, it's no social law or whatever the case may be that's going to change those things, but only Jesus Christ can. So we need to hold on and preach the gospel, but also put it into action as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to add on to just how Desmond worded that so well. Um, there's no law, there's no legislation that's going to fix somebody's wicked heart. 
Mm. You can sit here and put all types of laws in place. All it does is help you to hide it better, right? It's like a thief, right? Or somebody when it comes down to gun laws. I won't get political, I promise. <laughs> but you can, you know, and laws are good. Laws are great. And, and God is a God of orders, so I'm not against that. But there's all types of laws that are being put into place. But people who have always done things illegally, the laws don't really affect them in that way, right? They just, okay, well, that's one more thing I'll get in trouble for if I get caught, right? Um, but like you said, and, I, and this is, we should always preach the gospel. It's the power to salvation. It's the power. That's where the power is, right? To change a person's heart. I don't, if, 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 if I have cancer or, or if I have some terminal disease, I don't want you to fix what's on the outside. I want you to get to the heart of the matter. I want you to get in there and figure out what it is to see what needs to be fixed. And I think a lot of times when we, um, when we, because there's a, and I know there's, a, there's another part of the question we're going to get to about the spectrum. Um, where do we lie on the spectrum? So I won't go to there too fast. But I, I think there's just, um, as, as Desmond said, the gospel should be lived out. It should be truth that we are seeking for. We should be pursuing righteousness, right, and standing against injustice. At the same time, I don't want to know more about black history than I do about Jesus. I'm a Christian first. Yeah. I'm an African-American second. Yeah. Now, some people may disagree with that, and I love you, and I'll still see you in glory. But, but that's, that's I, my, I have a new identity. It doesn't mean I get rid of my culture or who I am, but, but Christ, as, as Paul would say, all the things I've gained, I consider them manure, dung, trash, compared to knowing this, knowing what? Jesus. So it has to be lived out, right? It's, it's got to be lived out. But I don't want to just be sitting here preaching and I see wrong around me. I see one brother disrespecting another or hating another, and I turn my eye to that and go, you know what, we ain't worried about that. we just about the gospel. Yeah. Because I think that's antithetical to the gospel. It's, it's kind of hand in hand, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the same energy um, that we have for, um, you know, abortion, right, against Planned Parenthood is the same thing that we need to have against, you know, racism, right? When we see it, we have to call it out. This is what it is. This is wrong. But when we turn a blind eye to it, uh, what we're saying is that it really doesn't matter and those people really don't matter um, mm -hmm. because who cares, right? Yeah. And that's, that doesn't glorify God. So I, I agree 100%. Just and I'm just going to add to that too. And this is not just from my own words. This was from Jimmy Seibert. Not that he's the, the only word, uh, but just he, he worded this really well, right? And Jimmy Seibert, for, for those that may not know, is the, is the founding pastor of, of Antioch Church in Texas. Um, he has started a worldwide movement of, of churches that we here at Paradox and in, at Antioch Detroit uh, get to be a part of. So we really thank God for him. And he said something very important that needed to be said. Racism in the church, we have a no-tolerance policy. No tolerance. Doesn't mean that there's not time for reconciliation or forgiveness or pulling your brother or sister to the side and say, hey, I'm noticing some character flaws. I'm noticing some stuff here. We need to work through this. But we have a no tolerance policy for racism and right. sexual harassment. No tolerance, right? It's, it's, it's on that same playing field. If, if I feel like a kid is being taken advantage of, no tolerance. No tolerance policy for it. So I think there has to be that offensive kind of way of addressing that and looking at that um, without at the same time making that the central thing and minimizing the gospel and going, well, we'll get back to Jesus later once we pursue and fight injustice. Nah. -uh. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, so much of what you guys are saying just, just brings my mind to the place of, like, if you or someone you know have ever spent some time in, in a hospital, there's really two things that are going on. First, you want to get to the heart of the problem. You want to, you want to treat that. You want to know what it is. And many Christians do well to say, listen, the heart of the problem, we, we spent all, all week on this last week, the heart of the problem is sin, is brokenness. And we have to treat that. We have to, that's what the gospel gets at. It is the power for salvation. We, we can only change hearts through that. However, if you went to the hospital and you were being treated for a sickness and you had other symptoms, varying levels of discomfort, and the, the medical staff there at the hospital said, listen, we're not going to take care of your fever. We're not going to take care of your headache. I don't care if you're hungry. You didn't come here for that. You came here for this. That would not be loving. That is not love. No, love goes, we're going to take care of the problem, and in the process, we want to know, like, where's the discomfort? Where's the pain? Because we want to love and, and serve and pay attention to that, too. Again, it's that both end that sometimes we, we've gone either or. We're only going to take care of the symptom. We're only going to talk about the symptom without discussing the real problem. Or we're just going to talk about this and not pay any attention to that over there. Um, one, one of the groups, you know, just because the time is limited, we could go on all day. Um, and so many of us just, because this is so hard to talk about, um, a lot of us just don't. And the only voice that we hear uh, is, is specifically Black Lives Matter. Uh, and that, that can be a whole divisive thing in, in itself, whether you're talking about a statement or an organization or a belief system. Um, and so I, I wanted to run that by you guys. As you look specifically at, a, uh, at an organization like, like Black Lives Matter, or maybe just a statement, I don't, I don't know how you want to respond to that, uh, how should Christians approach these different movements, um, especially like a, like a Black Lives Matter? I think uh, for me it's really simple and quick. Um, yes, does Black Lives Matter? Yes, yes. Black lives absolutely matter because according to Genesis 126, we are creating the image of God, right? I don't yeah. care who you are, what you look like, you're creating an image of God, you have value, right? So that's why it's a problem when you see uh, a black man being shot and killed in the middle of the street or being choked out. That is wrong because yeah. we're creating the image of God. But can we, can we just pause on that? I just want to sit there for a second. Yes and amen. Okay? I, I want to say that as, as, as a pastor, as our church, yes. Of course, Black Lives Matter. Black, black Lives Matter. Oh, but now do we look at the movement, the group? No, that's a whole totally separate thing. Um, I would tell anyone just simply go on their website. Uh, has anyone raised your hand? Have you ever went on the Black Lives Matter website before? Just a couple people? Yeah, um, it's, it's, not, it's not about actually um, black lives, actually. It's everything that's destructive about black lives. Um, for example, and I'll just, I won't get too crazy with it, but... 70% of abortion clinics are in the inner city amongst minorities. Black Lives Matter will promote abortion within the black community. Why is that? If black lives really matter, then why are you committing genocide amongst your own people? Mm. That's a problem because they truly don't value black lives and they truly don't understand that we're creating the image of God just like anyone else. So black lives matter, yes, we do matter, but the organization, the movement, no, I'm sorry. I would, um, I would totally agree. Um, there's a temptation. There's a temptation to jump on to organizations and bandwagons. Now watch this. Watch this. I'm gonna give a soft answer on this first part, and I'll get a little more later on. 
if you are connected to BLM, the Black Lives Matter organization, and you feel that it's something that's in the sake of pursuing righteousness or truth, okay, I, I would just encourage you, and I'm sure Desmond and, and Dave would say the same thing, go to the website. Look at actually what's being said there. Before, and, as, and, and as believers, here's where it gets really strange. A lot of times when it comes down to the Black Lives Matter organization, it becomes a vice. And it becomes this thing like, are you a part of it? Do you support it? And now it's this political, strange kind of, and now you're like tucked into a corner. You go, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it's really a place of putting you in bondage. Do you really support? You go, I do. What well, if you didn't support this and you should support? And you go, wait a minute. As believers, we're not trying to get you to join organizations. We're trying to get you to be kingdom people and be obedient to Jesus Christ and follow the truth of his word. Our church is about discipleship. What does discipleship mean? One person helping another person to follow Jesus. It's good. Not an organization. And this is just not Black Lives Matter. It could be Bob Duco or Family Today. Or, and I, I love both of those. You know, you know, I think it's called. Is it Family Today? What's it called? I'm not too sure. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. It doesn't matter what the organization is. It could be me. If I am promoting something that is anti-Christ, anti-biblical, that goes against us fighting and contending for unity, what we're talking about today being indivisible, I'm not going to partner with it. The Bible says that your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Whatever you mean, it better mean it. Whatever you say no to, you better say no to it. You have to be sure because what happens is when you attach yourself to certain organizations, there's other baggage that comes along with that. And they go, well, if you are part of this, that means you also support this, right? Instead of just saying, look, it's important as believers we understand how to use our wording and our terms correctly to say we believe what black lives matter. It does not now mean, therefore, I have to connect to the Black Lives Matter organization. And we have to be clear in the way we said it, black or white. And again, whether it's BLM or any other organization for that matter, we want to be very clear in our wording. And if somebody still wants to fight against us and go, well, you're not one of the good ones. You know how they do that, right? You're not one of the good whites or one of the good blacks, right? Whatever that means. God bless you. We love you. I'll be praying for you. And uh, if there's something that the Holy Spirit needs to highlight to me, if God wants to highlight a character flaw or area in my life of weakness, I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to come before him. And if I've done something wrong, I'm going to trust God to lead me into truth and lead me into repentance of that. Until then, I'm going to keep following God's word. And everything else is below that. Yeah. It's good. You know, it, it does seem like there, there is so much of that that goes on right now, like a, like a tribalism. You are either with us or you are against us. I mean, and and if, you, if you agree on this, then you have to say and agree all of this other, all this other stuff. And in that, I, I think a whole lot of people end up feeling like, ah, I, I, can't, I, I can't do that. I can't say, so I guess I'm not. I guess, I guess I'm not there. Uh, and that's where this whole thing gets political, right? Uh, and it feels like this, isn't, this shouldn't be political, um, but in a lot of ways, it, it is. And it's just, oh, here we go, talking politics again. And, no, we're not. Why, why, why is this political? What, what do you guys think? Would you... What would you say to somebody that, that would even say what we're doing up here? You know, like, man, you know, you really shouldn't be up here talking politics. Is, is race political or is, is race biblical? Uh, real quick, I, I think, you know, race is biblical. I mean, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 26 tells us that, uh, you know, there's one, one human race, right? That comes from one man, that's Adam. 
Um, but once again, and just harping on it even more, I want people to understand this is a sin problem, okay? Mm -hmm. And when we say it's a sin problem, that does not mean that we just throw it, toss it out to the side. No, we have to deal with it just like any other sin. So since it's a sin problem, it's a biblical issue. Um, when we say that we're going to give this over and just make it a political thing or just give it to our politicians so they can make laws and bylaws so things can change, like Joanne said earlier, what happens is you're just hiding it. You can't change someone's uh, outward behavior, but we need an inner, inward change, right? That can only come from the gospel, can only come from a biblical uh, uh, presidents, it can only come from Jesus Christ. Um, but when we give over uh, this issue of racism or, or race and we give it to the means of politics, we're giving it to carnal men and women to make decisions and try to bring change, but we're ultimately saying that Jesus Christ isn't enough for that change. And what's scary, and I'm seeing, and I could just be honest about it amongst African Americans, and I hate saying this, but just in a cultural aspect, like in the black church, so to speak, um, I think there's so much unrest, and I think Jawan would... Um, agree there's so much unrest that Jesus isn't becoming enough, unfortunately. So what happens is we feel that, well not we, but a lot feel that, man, maybe we should talk about this for 365 days a week, right? And make it more political than it is biblical. But if we take the biblical approach, I think we can nip it in the bud and we can begin to make a, a, a cultural type of thing where it can bring change, not just within the church, but in the community as well. When Dave did his sermonette earlier, he really touched on most of the scriptures I'm sure me and Desmond were going to go to. Um, seriously, uh, we know about there's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ, or we could say Jew or Gentile. Essentially, there's no difference between anybody culturally, race-wise, as it relates to us being one in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we aren't different or that we don't celebrate our cultural differences. Nothing wrong with that. We don't want to remove them and go, okay, we're just one blob. No, but in our differences, in, our, in this beautiful mosaic, in this culture, we come together under one head, which is Christ. That's the glue. Here's the thing. It's the glue that binds me and my wife together. It's not the ring. It's Jesus. It's, it's the covenant that we've made with him and with one another. And I think that, um, I just, let me just read something. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And of course, in John 7, it encourages us not to judge based on appearance. It doesn't mean that we don't make judgments, but we should not be a judgmental people. We make judgments all the time between Burger King or, or McDonald's. I was talking to um, Liz the other day, and I, I said if I had a daughter and some guy came in and he was smelling like alcohol and marijuana and he was cussing and using profanity and he kicked my door down and said, hey, uh, Pastor Jay, I'm getting ready to take your daughter to prom. No, you're not. I need to make a righteous judgment, right? And go, no, the Bible encourages me to make right judgments, not to be judgmental, but to make right judgments. And in doing that, if racism is a biblical issue, if I see something in the midst of my community where one person is practicing superiority over another, as that person's brother, I need to step into that and go, this is not right. Paul wasn't afraid to do it. Paul wasn't afraid to do it. He said, what are you doing? He said, Why are you eating with these ones and not when they? No, you, you can't do that. And here's the thing. If you love somebody, you are willing to do that, to defend them. And this is, this is going to sound so cheap. 
But it was so funny because we want to give practical answers. We don't want to be so heady where you go, well, that was good. Now, how do I actually live that out? But there's a movie that we were forced to watch every year. It was supposed to be the movie to defeat racism. It's called Remember the Titans. And in Remember the Titans, there's a situation where the captain has to get rid of one of his co-white you know, um, players because he was practicing superiority, because he was more concerned about the team and knew that there was an issue and said, you got to go because you're going to bring division. And whenever we see division coming in, we as a church, as a family, brothers and sisters of all nationalities need to address that mm. and go, no tolerance, no tolerance for that. So, um, Desmond, did you want to? Uh, no, you pretty much hit everything. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm, it's so good. I'm actually writing that down. He's more concerned about the team. You know, I, I just wonder, how, how would that play out in, in our lives? If, if, if we said, you know what, I'm more concerned about the team. I'm more concerned about the team than about my right to, to post this. I'm more concerned about the team. I'm more concerned about, about the team and how they, they may feel, how they may per, per, perceive it, somebody else meaning, uh, than, than about how I feel at this moment. I'm more concerned about the team. I'm more concerned about the team than about my politics. Or Man, what if, we, what if we actually internalize that? Or, or even, I'm more concerned about the team than about one person's feelings. Whew. <laughs> that, that's a challenge. Like, that's personally convicting. Am I more concerned about the team than all of us? We're on what, there's one team. And it's, it's, it's the Jesus team. I, man, I feel like there, there should be some sort of cheesy 90s, 90s song that come, we get into right now. Um, the Jesus team, you know. But having said that, though, we're, we're one. There's one team, and yet we keep going back to the, you know, you know race is biblical, and, and these differences are actually a good and beautiful thing. We're not just uniform. We have unity, and there's, there's the manifold, meaning that many in the fold Diversity, the book of Revelation talks about how there's going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and, and that God created this, and it's beautiful and, and good. How do we start to do that? I mean, you, we obviously look different. And Just a little bit. A little bit. You sing and, and dance way better than, than me, uh, but there, there's, there's these differences amongst us, and you've talked a little bit, and I love your perspective on this, Juwan, um, that there is. There's black culture, and there's white culture, and it's not even, it's not, sometimes we get to this place where it's like, I don't know, it's one culture, and so we can't even talk about any of this stuff, because that's divisive. Uh, what, how would you respond to something like that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. This has maybe become shocking for a lot of my white brothers and sisters, okay? Clear word, my brothers and my sisters, that white people have a culture. A lot of white people don't know that. A lot of black people don't know that. White people have their own culture. Now, depending on where you grow up and who you're connected to, that culture can be a mix of, obviously, a number of different things. But, but white culture is a thing. Yeah. And here's the thing, it's not sinful. White culture isn't evil. It isn't bad, but you need to realize 
that you do have a culture. This is why this is important is because we had what I would consider to be, and this is no disrespect to him, we had an unfortunate circumstance where the, uh, a rapper by the name of Lecrae had went on a rant about white evangelicalism. That's a term that you're gonna probably be hearing a lot, okay? With everything with this racial tension, you're gonna hear white evangelicalism, which I don't like that because it, it begs too many questions. You go, what do you mean by that? Like, what is that white evangelicalism? But it's this idea that at some churches, the white culture is the standard, and everything else is exotic. Everything else is unique. You see it happen a lot in um, um, uh, uh, supermodels, right? You'll see a white model, and they'll go, beautiful, elegant. And if it's a black model or somebody Brazilian, they'll say exotic, spicy. And you go, what, you, what does that mean? As if the white culture is the standard. And we want to just be aware that we have a culture. It's not bad. I don't, please, me and Desmond aren't using this opportunity to beat up on anybody. This is not about us getting out our racial frustrations. No, we are contending for unity because that's what Jesus wants it to. And if I don't like white people, I'm going to hate heaven because it's going to be full of them. It's going to be full of y'all. So I, I better get it together now, right? I better. So I, it's just one of those things and that we have to understand as well that there is something like black culture and Spanish culture and so on and what, you know, and uh, whatnot, and we just want to be aware that we have a culture and that we want to invite people into that but not make them feel like this is the standard and everything else is unique or, or weird or, oh, that's kind of, I mean, he's kind of loud when he preaches, you know, that's not the standard, but I, I guess I can that's this style. No, that's my culture. That's the way I do it, and you may have a different way of doing it. Neither one is bad. And I think, sorry, Desmond. No, no, you're good, you're good. I think what's upsetting is that what we've seen in a lot of this racial polarizing stuff that we're dealing with on the media and the news, that there's this attack against white culture, that European or white culture is evil or bad. We got to get rid of it, tear everything down that looks like it. And you go, wait, is that what God is calling us to do? I, when I look at the scriptures, Desmond, I don't see that. I don't see that. No, and it's the flip side, too. Like, for example, we all have a culture, right? Um, Thanksgiving is coming up. I'll use this as an example. Um, Thanksgiving is coming up. I think, you know, most cultures, their Thanksgiving may look a little different, right? Um, I know amongst uh, blacks, what, what do we typically have? Macaroni, something? cheese, yams, stream beans, greens, turkey, meatloaf, fried pork chops, dressing, and et cetera. Right. So, like, okay, like, for example, <laughs> like, just to be so practical. To be, <laughs> to be practical, right? Like um, in the black culture, we'll call it dressing, right? But amongst some, and correct some, me if I'm wrong, some, some, right, some, 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 not all, they may call it stuffing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And we at can't all. say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. It's called dressing, even though it is called dressing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but we can't, I'm messing with you. But we can't say that. <laughs> exactly. And so, I not, so to point it into a biblical point of view, right? So for me, uh, being in. 100%, I would have got you the ranch. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, so even like in a biblical standpoint, um, <clears throat> me being in seminary at Moody Theological Seminary, I get a lot of these books. Uh, you get different commentaries on John, Romans, whatever the case may be. And every time I pick up most of the books, it's this white guy on it, right? But then, when I, because when I became a Christian, the first thing I heard about was the Reformation period. But then later on, it wasn't until there was many uh, issues dealing with black culture uh, and dealing with Christianity, the identity of a black man in Christianity, did not, not figure out that. When you go back to the first century, we see African church fathers. But when I go to uh, you know, seminary, 
we don't see that. Mm -hmm. And then when we do see that there are African church fathers, they're painted white. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. So culture is amazing. We can't get rid of culture. I think we have to embrace, embrace each other's culture. When we look in the scriptures, um, you know, Paul, when he's telling uh, Jewish believers, say, hey, you know, the, the law has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, right? But he's not going to begin to tell them, like, hey, now since the law has been fulfilled, now you need to start eating pork. No, 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 no. That's not how that works, right? You can't, inf- you can't impose someone else's culture because of what you may uh, tend to agree with. Our culture is our culture. It's amazing. Let's accept each other's culture. The only thing that Christ is trying to do is bring us out of darkness and into the kingdom. Christ isn't trying to strip away your culture. He's trying to strip away the sinful behavior. That's it. Can I, can I just add something yeah. onto that, too? Uh, as, a, as, as a pastor, it's, I'm, I'm trying to invite you into, like you said, a kingdom culture. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm trying to invite you into. Not, not my style of music, not if I listen to Kirk Franklin and you listen to Carrie Job. Who, who I want to invite you into the culture of respect and honor, a culture of repentance, a culture of forgiveness, a culture that's pursuing righteousness and stands against injustice. That's the kind of culture that we want to invite people, a, a culture that, that, that holds God's word as the supreme authority. That's the culture that I want to invite people, a, a culture that if I see something being done wrong, that I'm not going to be afraid in love to address it. That's the culture mm-hmm. that we want. But again, not, not having this, like you said, making people feel bad yeah. for their culture. That's right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I love, you know, it's, it's silly, lighthearted example of a Thanksgiving thing, you know. Um, there, there's difference. We're, we are different. And it's not, it's not just what we eat on Thanksgiving. There's, man, when, when you say dressing, you think, you think one thing, I think a totally different thing. So it's not just what we do, it's, it's how we think and what our pasts are and what our perspectives are. And it goes a lot deeper, in, in a lot of ways, a lot, a lot more important, and sometimes even a lot more painful than Thanksgiving food. And so the point is, are, are we different? Yes. And we need to understand that about each other, that we are different. Why? Why? Because when we understand the difference, it helps us love each other. Yeah. When Desmond asks for, for, for dressing, yeah. he doesn't want ranch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And if I understand that, then I can love him. I can serve him right. a little bit better. <laughs> it doesn't make me bad. That's where, where we start getting into trouble on, right. is that we, racism, honestly, racism starts when we look at the difference and say that one of these ways is wrong. One of these ways is bad. Yeah. Different is different. And, and as Christians, we would go beyond this, right? Uh, I wanna, before Arby's said it, uh, God said it. Different is good. Yeah. Yeah. Different is good. Yeah. Well, we have to know the difference so that we can love each other better. And that's what we want to do. That's what kingdom culture is about. That's what we're about here at Paradox, what y'all are about there at Antioch. That's what the church everywhere is about, is kingdom, unity, love, that's how the, the world is going to know Jesus, is through our love. So as we seek to be an indivisible church, I want to get real practical now. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything that y'all would, would say to us um, as, as we take steps towards being indivisible? What does that look like? Um, okay, so the definition of indivisible, which Dave already said it already, but uh, unable to be divided and or separated, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in Romans 8, it talks about that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
It is a list of things, you know, and, and nothing can separate us. And Dave said this scripture too, John 13, they will know you are my what? Disciples by the love you have for one another. Hmm. It didn't say it would know that you were Jews or Greeks. It will know you are followers of Jesus by the love you show for one another. And when it comes down to being indivisible, if nothing can separate me from God, I don't want anything separating me from my church family. That's good. I want to have that same vigor, that same energy into making sure I am keeping the unity. And where I see division, I, I, I stump it out and go, no, no, that's not, that's not okay. Um, another more practical thing, and this is something that wasn't in the questions but needs to be addressed, needs to be addressed. My brothers and my sisters, be careful with your social media. Let me say that again. My brothers and my sisters, be careful with your social media. And what's happened with social media is now everybody's a pastor. Everybody's a preacher. Everybody has a mic and a platform to make open-ended statements that beg more questions that bring division, confusion, and pain. Mm-hmm because they want to be proven right. And they do it for 13 and 14 likes. You're like, okay, was that really worth getting rid of 20 Facebook friends for for 13 likes? Really? Are you happy about that? Be careful using, and this is for me talking as a pastor, be careful how you use your social media. It doesn't mean that you don't have freedom of speech. If you want to say something, say it. But, But be wise to go, is what I'm saying pushing us towards unity, or is it just me letting off some steam? Is it just me trying to be proven right or prove a point? Here's the other thing. When you see something foolish on somebody's Facebook or Instagram that's unbiblical, that is not your chance to go in there and kick in the comment section down and go, well, let me tell you one thing. You're not lo-. Sometimes it's best not even to engage because you kind of feed into that, and, they, and that's kind of what they want. Everybody who claims to be of Jesus is not living that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, again, I've just seen, I posted a picture recently on my Facebook where there's a, it'll make sense. There's a a chameleon closing the mouth of a frog. And on the frog, it says, every time I'm getting ready to comment on somebody's post, and on the chameleon, it's the Holy Spirit shutting in his mouth. And it's just like, there's stuff I see, and I go, that is so demonic. That is so hateful. That is just so not biblical. And I'm, and I'm ready to go in and go, how are you going to call yourself a man or a woman of God? And the Holy Spirit is like, ah, ah, ah. no, just keep scrolling down. Go, go, go back to the dancing cats. Go back yeah. to that. That's where, they, you know, just, yeah. uh, okay, Lord, all right. I'll. But, Lord, what they said was wrong, and it's counter to, just go back to the dancing cats. It's okay. You'll be all right. They'll be all right. We're going to pray for them. We're going to love them and pray that God <laughs> brings reconciliation. But I'm not going to engage on a social media platform where I'm not really given the opportunity to see you face-to-face, to have a genuine dialogue. When I'm sitting here behind the keyboard, hitting the keys all hard, enter. Mm-mm-mm. No, I, I can't really communicate with you or even reconcile an issue through social media. So just, I can't tell you what to do. I'm just, I would pray you would use wisdom and be careful how yeah. you address things on social media. That's all I'll say. Um, yeah, dude, no, it's, it's, it's true. We just did a whole series on this, and we... You might leave here if you don't hear anything else. Some of us don't need to apologize for the, for the past. We, we, we need to apologize for being arrogant jerks, yeah. though, all right? <laughs> Sometimes we have to apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, Desmond, I'm yeah, going to give you a final word, man. Um, 
we might need to do a dialogue about them dancing cats. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just a place of peace. Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, for me, it's just real quick and simple. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, even like something like Thanksgiving, right? Um, to just put this in a orthopraxy way, to practically live out this thing. You know, instead of you inviting someone over to your house for dinner, go over to their house, right? See what they're going to make. Um, they may have a different way of cooking. Cool. Let me introduce that to me. That's a part of your culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's go over your house and uh, let's games or whatever. Just ingratiate each other within each other's culture. I think a lot of times we try to proselytize or convert people into our culture, and that's wrong, right? Let's let's dive into someone else's culture and just see how things work out with that. And I think that's how you begin to improve on things, especially in a in a church. So that's so good. Thank you guys so much for being with us here today. Appreciate it. Um, as, as we set up, as, as these guys go and, uh, and we set up for our closing moments, I just want to pray over, over, over them, over our, our church, over the church. Um, so would you just join me in prayer uh, as we prepare to close here together? And it's from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Father, we thank you for every family, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Your word tells us that one day all of us will bow our knee before your throne, unified in our worship of you. According to the riches of your glory, you may grant to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. So, Father, so many of us are exhausted, overwhelmed, tired from the tension, from the past, from the hurt. Just can't seem to get over it. Father, would your Holy Spirit just bring unity and strengthen us, God, to continue on, to love, to forgive, even when it's hard, God, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, God, I pray that we would be rooted and grounded in nothing less than your love for one another. We have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God, we want your fullness, the fullness of your forgiveness, the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your body. In all of its forms, God, we want the fullness. Would you eliminate the division, God, and bring wholeness and healing and unity, God. It's not something that can just be tweeted. But God, we can only find it in you. So would you bring your fullness to our hearts so that we can be a full church, full of your love, full of your grace, to the fullness of the world, God, so that we can see the fullness of your dream when you created people, when you started this experiment of humanity, God, Would your dreams come true? Would your kingdom come, God? Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. God, it is not beyond your power and your ability to bring healing and unity to your church, to people, to this nation, God, and to our world. 
God, you can actually do immeasurably more. And we thank you for it. We praise you for it and ask that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.